Hello everyone and welcome to Discussing Trek. Today we are here reviewing Star Trek Lower Decks Season 2, Episode 6, The Spy Humongous. Like always, I'm your host Clarence and I'm joined by my fellow co-host slash Trekkies. Starting with none other than Cal Jones. How you doing, man? You know what? I think I'm doing pretty good for all intents and purposes. I'm here and I'm doing good. What about you, my friend? I'm doing good as long as Narrator 2 is here with me. I think we can manage. Indeed. Also on the podcast, we have Jonathan Shorts. How you doing, man? Man, I am doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. Glad to be on with you guys again. Uh, talk a little bit of Lord X and maybe get some good vibes from you that have changed my mind. Uh-oh. That is not that does not uh you know raise my hopes here early on but we'll we'll see how it goes we'll see how it goes uh guys if you're listening and you did not hear our or somehow you missed our bonus episode of all about Star Trek Day and all the news definitely go check that out in the feed it's the last episode in the feed very good episodes that Kyle Jones joined me for and we had a lot of fun doing it so check that out to get caught up on all of the Star Trek Day news and if you didn't know by the way. <laughs> What we do here on this podcast is review each and every episode of Star Trek in somewhat excessive detail. In addition to talking all things Trek, please leave a review and also like and subscribe on whatever podcasting platform you may be listening on to make sure you don't miss an episode. And also, guys, it really helps with discovery. So if you could do that, we'd really, really appreciate it. And we are ready to dive right into our review of Star Trek Lower Decks, The Spy Humongous. The Spy Among Us is the sixth episode of Star Trek Lower Deck Season 2. The episode was written by John Cochran of, of uh, Survivor fame and directed by Bob Cirez with Barry J. Kelly serving as a supervising director. Anomaly Consolidation Day aboard the USS Cerritos leaves the Lower Deckers with mixed emotions. Captain Freeman attempts to negotiate peace on a packlet homeworld. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand the battle stations. I'll give you the right. You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you sprain something. With that, we'll go to Cal Jones. For the beats of the episode, sometimes serious, sometimes comedic, you never know. Cal Jones, what do you have, man? Two words. Size matters. <laughs> Once again, I'm stumped. <laughs> Humongous. <laughs> Once again, I'm stumped. Okay, help me out here. Let's just start with that. I didn't. I don't get the humongous reference. You are the moderator of this particular podcast, my friend. You wear the biggest hat. Uh, Is that what that's all about? I thought they were talking about Riker's trombone or something. I don't know. (laughs) Well, Riker had big pants because he had big legs. (laughs) What? (laughs) That's what they said. That's what they said. Jonathan Shores. Well, so the humongous thing, <laughs> let, let me tell you why I chuckled at that. It, it's because, I, and I could be wrong, I'm taking that as kind of a, it's it's kind of a two parts, really. Like, humongous, so the packlets were just big anyway. They're like they're a big problem. They're a big species. They're all about their big hats, whoever had a big hat. So everything is huge with them. But also, <laughs> you know, the, the saying is the spy among us. Okay. Right. That's what you would. That's what you normally would hear. There's a spy among us, or something like that. So we already know the packlets. Like they're 
language pattern is not quite there. So they would say it, if they're trying to say the spy among us, they would say the spy humongous. <sighs> Just like when okay. at- I th- Mm, I think I kind of get that. I think it's kind of twofold, like you said. Yeah. I'm kind of weaving everything you said and what Kyle (laughs) said to to make a little sense for me. Because if he's going to be a spy in any sense of the word, he definitely did a poor job of it. So let me weave in a third layer to that, which is this subset, this little clique of red shirt society, I'll call them. I'm not sure if I remember exactly what they were called, but they had humongous egos, particularly the leader of that, which I thought is another way you could interpret the spy humongous or the word huge because they had such huge egos. Oh, talk about the freaking <laughs> big head. Oh my goodness. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get into all that, but let me, before we move any further, John, what are your high level thoughts of the episode? Mm. So I guess at the highest level, I can give you one word and that would be boring. Oh man. Was it that bad? It wasn't bad. It was just boring. Huh. Cal Jones, you have any additional thoughts to add? Yeah, I wasn't bored. I don't know if I enjoyed this better than any of the others. I don't quite think I'd enjoyed that it better. I didn't dislike it and I wasn't bored, but I wasn't also blown away. So I can see where Jonathan's going in the sense of him being bored, because Lord knows I love to say I was bored, but I wasn't, but I wasn't blown away. What about you? Yeah, to me, it it did feel like a bit of a middle of the road episode, to be honest. There were a lot of things to really like about it. I do like that it, I do like that the ship was, had an actual mission, that they were doing and they were doing their own thing, not connected to anything else. I, I, I really enjoyed that. And I really, you know, I, I like that the packlets are their enemy are kind of their main antagonists. It, it seems like it really suits their, the flow of the show for them. And, and, you know, I think I liked a lot of the things with the, the red shirts and the, the, uh, you know, disposing of the anomalous, <laughs> the anomalies. I thought all that was pretty interesting to be honest, but it, it, I, I do get, where you're saying that is not the most exciting episode, but I thought it had a lot of good points in it. I think I kind of didn't love, but, but I think I liked it. So, I mean, better than any of the ones in the first season still. Uh, I, I enjoyed it more than those, but like, you know, here lately I've been writing in the four, four fives, like unless <laughs> our conversation changes my mind, I don't see it going that high. Oh man. But as you said, there were some good points and there were some things I did like about it. And there were some things I did not. All right. Well, of course, the packlets are back. Captain Freeman tries to negotiate a ceasefire while the packlet spy. I'm holding on quotes here. Boards the Cerritos. <laughs> Meanwhile, <laughs> the lower decks have their hands full with some surprisingly dangerous duties. But alas, let's talk it out. Uh, so after <laughs> apparently uh, continued unprovoked attacks uh, on Feder- Federation trade routes by the Packlets, Captain Freeman and the Cerritos are sent to the Packlet home planet, just called simply called Packlet Planet, on a diplomatic mission to negotiate a ceasefire. 
and we're not going to go over every point in the episode because I don't feel it, it is a real need, but we can kind of hit the high points of what we really, really liked. So let me just start by asking you guys any thoughts on this mission to go to the Packlet homeworld or Packlet planet. And was there anything about their society, their culture that really interests you other than a lot of it just being played for laughs? Anything about their culture or this mission that really interests you guys? Oddly enough, the hat thing was interesting to me for several reasons, or well, maybe not several, two reasons. Reason number one is the diplomacy of learning how different places react and the the pomp and circumstance that you have to go through, because we really don't see that in Star Trek for the most part, unless it's storyline needed. You don't think of all of the things that you have to do. For instance, if a dignitary in you know present day Earth, if someone goes to meet the Queen of England, there are certain things you can't wear and certain things you can't say. And she has to walk in before, you know what I'm saying? There's all these different things that you have to do. And I think they were trying to play on that a little bit. The other thing that I really thought was cool was the hat thing. I know that was played for laughs, but one society may see a blue hat as being priceless. And another society sees that as a worthless piece of junk. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Any thoughts, John? So I guess the one thing that was interesting, we were introduced to the packlets from a TNG episode. Uh, It was early on. I don't remember the name of it. Uh, And I mean, all we see is a ship that these packlets are on and they basically kind of set up a trap to pull the Enterprise in and try to steal their technology. And the ship they're on is pretty much a ship that's been pieced together from parts that was stolen from other species because they really do not have the, how can I put it? Technical (laughs) know-how. There you go. They do not have the technical know-how to create their own technology and expand their own technological abilities. So when we were heading down to the Packlet's planet, which they so fittingly called Packlet Planet, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, I kind of expected to see their infrastructure kind of the same way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like not. And so we get there and it's like they have like a palace built and like it looks good. Gold. Gold. Right. So I'm like, this is the packlet planet. Like, wow. Like, that's not what I was expecting. So, I mean, that was one one shocker. Uh, And the next thing is they actually have a hierarchy set up. So that was cool. Yeah, but see, the, see, y'all are calling that gold like it's priceless. Probably for them, that's just bright, shiny metal. <laughs> <laughs> that's their wood. <laughs> right. It's just wood. <laughs> but yeah, um, I, I agree. That really surprised me about their culture. I'm like, these guys are like, I mean, I hate to say it, but they're really not intelligent at all. They depend on and we saw this especially in season one of lower decks and as you mentioned john that that episode of tng that you alluded to that they really just kind of steal and piece together technology from other civilizations i guess it requires some amount of technical know-how to learn how to integrate all those different pieces and parts but but by the same token by going to their planet 
and seeing that they just have these gold palaces, they have like they actually have a hierarchy of government, which I just did not expect at all. I did not either. Really did. I did not either. I just kind of expected almost like a little more than caveman mentality, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't mean that insulting. I'm just saying, like, I didn't expect a sophisticated level of gov- government or hierarchy. Like, it's, and I guess it wasn't. I mean, it, yeah. it kind of was based off of hat size, but still, you know. <laughs> I mean, was it to play on the the Starfleet pips, or mm, maybe, possibly? Hmm. Yeah, but but in any case, I found it interesting that they had a, a king and an emperor, apparently, and I guess they descended into were descending into civil war. I guess. <laughs> a revolt? Re- how do you say it? <laughs> a rebellion or something? No, revolt. Revolution. revolution. <laughs> yeah, revolution. <laughs> That's why I was kind of laughing at the uh, title of this show. Like, instead of saying revolution, they they say revolution. That's just kind of how rebels and revolution, revolution. (laughs) Oh, they said revolution? Yeah, revolution. I didn't even notice that. Oh, see, (laughs) I had to turn off the closed captioning because for some reason, the closed captioning and the actual story was like 15 seconds behind each other. So it was, you know, irritating. So I didn't get the rebel. So that's cool, actually. <laughs> let, let, me, let me ask you guys this. So when, when Shax and Freeman first get there and they talk about this could be our chance for some Picard level peace brokering. Would we like it better if they alluded to stuff we don't know about to form some new lore? Or <sighs> it just seems like it all depends on the, the, the shows we've seen. <laughs> you know, it, almost every reference they do make some offhanded references to stuff I look up and it means nothing. I, and I guess that's the point. You don't want to look up something that's not going to be tied to anything we've seen before. But I don't know. It just seems like it's nobody else out there. <laughs> yeah. And they and they just kind of lay it on, you know, like I, like the whole Janeway kept calling Captain Freeman Janeway. <sighs> like I was like, OK, yeah, Chuckle is at first. But is now it because she's guys, the only woman only because she's that's a woman? it. Exactly, and they just kept laying it on thick. Like I, and again, I don't have a problem with. (laughs) I don't want anybody taking as Jonathan has a problem with the woman captain or Janeway or even Freeman. But kind of, it's just kind of back to your point. Like they keep calling back to things that we know to support their show. Like let's be creative on our own for a little while. I a million percent agree with you on that. Totally agree with you. Yeah, that's that that might be the only thing that really annoyed me in this episode is the the Janeway thing. I'm like, how would the Packlets even know she's been stuck in the freaking Delta Quadrant for the last seven years? <laughs> <laughs> but who knows? I guess she got back and got a big, you know, celebration, therefore everybody knows about her probably, I guess. Well, you know, while she was in the Delta Quadrant, like everybody on Earth knew about it. Like that was the talk of the Federation was Janeway in a Delta Quadrant. Yeah. Mm. So I mean not that the packlets are in the Federation, but that that's that almost sounds like a, a Starfleet uh, music group. Janeway and the Delta Quadrant. <laughs> Shredding. Let's start it up, man. Let's do there it. There you go. <laughs> so let's talk a bit about Rumdar and his <laughs> spy mission aboard the USS Cerritos. Oh, boy. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, it's pretty obvious from the moment he he gets there, he starts asking questions about the ship. And I guess Ransom and Keishan just assumed he was on uh, Asylum, I guess. Well, I guess so. It kind of fooled me a little bit at the beginning. Like, I didn't think he was there to spy because in my head, like, they wouldn't have come up with that plan to begin with. Like, I thought he just wanted to see the warp engines because he wanted to see the warp engines. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. well, no, he started with the defensive shields. And what, what was it? The Crenshaw shield? Yeah. Wasn't it a throwback to TNG episode? You, yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> so his first thing, show me your Crenshaw shields. Or so I was like, oh, yeah, that's funny. He just, he, I really thought he was looking for asylum and he was just being a packlet. So, like, I, and I'm sure Ransom just probably thought the same thing like there's no way this guy has any ulterior motive other than what he's showing us on the surface so so kyle what do you think about i i, I guess it, get, it gets interesting when he disappears and, <laughs> and, and i'm almost to the point of where oh he is kind of smarter than he let on and he's just disappearing and we're getting i didn't think into. he was smarter than he let on i thought it was another um shapeshifter or something i never thought he was smart. <laughs> oh really even more interesting <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, they had, okay, so I was expecting them, and I'm so glad they didn't, but I was so expecting them to go over the line with playing up the not educated or I was like, there's there's a way to be tasteful, there's a way not to be tasteful, and I was afraid they were going to go a little distasteful, but they didn't, so I'm glad they, they didn't that, but I almost, I mean, I did laugh whenever I saw him floating out. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> oh, man. But the, and it, it, the whole show, it kind of, you kind of, and like you say, Kyle, it's it's a thin line between how far you can go with this idea. And they kind of played it. You know what I mean? Like, like Clarence, you just alluded to when he disappears, you're like, okay, maybe he's a little smarter than he let on. Well, then <laughs> you see him floating outside of space and I'm like, maybe he's not. <laughs> You know what I mean? Oh, my God. That was hilarious. I got to admit. <laughs> I got to admit. It's, it's just funny how we sent Kayshawn and Ransom scrambling across the ship to try to find this guy. But, oh, but you know what? Man. We're sitting here and we're dissecting them. But if you think about it, really, they're not that different from the... And just bear with me and let me say all of this because it's going to sound weird, but they're really not that different from the Klingons, from the Ferengi, from the um, Vulcans. And what I mean by that is barbarian angry. Everybody that pretty much is a Klingon is a barbaric angry representation. Used car salesman, Ferengi. Yeah. Uh, up Uptight and smart Vulcan yeah you see what I'm saying so it, it's like they take a characteristic kind of one-dimensional and they make a race out of it right so it's not that far removed from some of the other things now they expand upon it but from from the base beehive Borg yeah it, it to me it's just weird that with the packlets it there seemed to be no scale to that. You know, even with those other races, you have some of the extreme, you have some of the more human versions of those. Yes, they did. They had a hat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now I have yeah, a hat. But I get what you're saying, but I was just trying to be funny. <laughs> no, you're, you're totally right, though. Well, and Cal, well, and part of, so I looked up the, 
episode for TNG on Memory Alpha, and he, I forgot the guy's name, the director or the producer that came up with the idea of the packlets. And it was just, he said every race that they had created so far up to that point in TNG always seemed to have a level of sophistication and education. I mean, even the Ferengis, they, I mean, they had their weird ways, but they still were technically advanced almost as much as, and I mean, even there are some TNG episodes where the Ferengi ships pretty much match the capability of the Enterprise. But up until that point, there was no, they nobody ever explored. Like there's out of all the species in the galaxy, not everybody could be as advanced. Yeah. And that was their goal of creating the packlets. Yeah. It's interesting. And I will say that more decks is giving me a, I wouldn't say appreciation, <laughs> but, but it's been interesting to dive into more of what those, what the race of, what what that species is. I think there's definitely been some interesting points to see it, to see them trying to navigate these, <laughs> these Starfleet streets. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. And of course, uh, Rumdar goes at the airlock by, I mean, goes into space by thinking the airlock is a bathroom, the biggest bathroom he's ever seen. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> I hit the plus button. <laughs> and apparently they can survive in space, so hey. Yeah. At least for a brief moment. Oh man. Meanwhile, back on the Cerritos, our Lord Deckers get assigned to anomaly consolidation duty. Meanwhile, back on the Cerritos, our Lord Deckers get assigned to lower deck duty. Anomaly consolidation duty is when you go around a ship collect their bridge crew's research materials from their missions. Mariner calls it trash day. Rutherford adds dangerous science trash day, (laughs) which (laughs) they need to pack up and send off to some facility. So everyone thinks it sucks with the exception, of course, Boimler is always happy about almost everything. And Tindy, I I guess we find out eventually that she's the one that kind of arranged all this. So of course, hijinks ensue. I have to ask you guys, which of the various anomalies was your favorite, if any? And did you did you even like the anomalies in general? I liked the concept of it. I got tired of it about halfway through it. You know, they kept going and going and going with it. I did like the concept. I did like the fact that Boimler got to use it as a plot device to round off the episode, but... It still kind of was a little, just tiny bit overkill. What about you, John? Yeah, I I, kind of agree with Kyle. Like, I, yeah, it was a great idea to start with, but I think it was, it could have been done better. And so we we always talking about, you know, all of the callbacks and the little innuendos of previous trick. Like, I could have done without it on pretty much this entire episode, except this was a perfect time to do it. Like when we're doing the anomalous collection, like, I don't know, maybe Jax had a something from DS9, a Bajoran, like he went to DS9 to visit his home planet, Bajor, and he brought back, uh, I don't know, an oh, orb, orb or something. That would be cool, dude. <laughs> yeah, that, like that was the time to do some callbacks because really, that, as Kyle said, it was overkill and almost like pointless other than to serve as a plot device for Boimler at the end. So why not use that time? If you want to do callbacks, why not use that to kind of tie in some things? Cause it makes more sense, right? Like these are items from previous missions. So you are naturally 
talking about past events. So then that's the time to say, okay, past event, it crosses over on something we've seen on TNG or DS9. Like that was the perfect time for that. And that would have made that whole B plot better for me. Yeah. Honestly, I don't think any of those and guys, if you're listening, please write in and let us know. But I don't think any of those anomalies that they found were related to any other show that I could tell. And you're right. It would have been the perfect time. And they did lightly do it with like that last little item at the end. And I want to jump to the end. But I mean, it's still that wasn't like it wasn't directly tied. Like they just used that to say, OK, let's throw this in. You know what I mean? It wasn't really a direct tie in. Yeah. Well, what I really liked about them doing these anomaly duties is the fact that it was silliness. It was over the top, but I feel like we got to see an episode where almost everyone of Lord Deckard's were being good Starfleet officers. You know, I don't think any of them in themselves were doing anything silly. It's just the plot they were involved in led to hijinks, you know? Right. So that's what I really loved about it. I love that they were like being semi-serious officers and they were just like kind of roped into this crazy duties that no one wants to do, you know? So I, I, that's what I, I appreciate that about, about those scenes. And I'll take it one step further. When you say, I appreciate that. I appreciate the fact that Mariner was still Mariner, but she was not front and center. She contributed to the yeah. overall narrative of the story, but she didn't hog the spotlight as the, as the main focus and and i like that and she actually says something that that is very poignant she's like every day isn't going to be some pristine exploratory adventure sometimes it's work and it sucks get used to it so that's kind of like the mantra for the lord deckers you know they're not the ones out there doing the cool missions they're like keeping the ship running doing (laughs) a task nobody wants to do you know right and that's kind of what you expect to see from a show called lord decks you want to see, like, actually, what what are the other lower deck people doing? Like, I know this starship needs maintenance and needs things that we never get to see. And, I mean, really, nowhere through Trick have you ever seen a bathroom. Like, I want to get to an <laughs> episode where they're actually going into details about the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds silly, but that'll be a perfect, you know, little... <laughs> they only use the airlocks, John. They only use the airlocks. Yeah, no, we're not going to use airlocks. <laughs> But see, even the Packlet figured out. The Packlet said, hey, we need to figure out where you guys' bathrooms are. He couldn't find it them. Been a, it might have been an inside joke then, actually. <laughs> yeah, you right. <laughs> oh, man. So, of course, Boimler does not have to do the anomaly duties. He is recruited by the Red Shirt Club or the Red Shirts. The, the Red Shirt Ranking Club. The, I don't know. Whatever you call them. And, and uh, I'm guessing it's Ensign Casey. I don't know if I get his rank. Yes, Ensign. They're all Ensigns. General thoughts on the red shirts. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is something that you see in real life when people are trying to get to the next level. You will see those group of people group to get all those people grouped together to try to make it to said next level. Sometimes I see that, you know, from time to time. But the I, I I'm trying to find a greater message. I guess the, the thing is. Are you really trying or are you just trying to get there off of, I don't know. I don't know. Cause, cause I don't, I didn't ever feel like they were really trying to get to the next level. They were just trying to pose or play the role without doing the work. There is 
the perfect word. They are posing specifically one of them, because I saw one of them who was coming at the the others based on how it ended, was coming at, look at me, I know everything, I can do everything, and do everything as I do, and, you know, follow me, and blah, 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 blah. Well, the others, as the story progresses, sees the pomp and being pompous isn't necessarily going to get you any substance because at the end he gets something that he wanted so badly, (laughs) but, but he was given because it doesn't really mean anything. Whereas the one that he was making fun of actually gets a true legitimate compliment. I think that was what they were trying to, you know, focus on because then the other red shirts are like, Oh, I'm going to go do my job now. But what I did like about this group well, let's let's start what I didn't like or what I expected. So when they said the red shirt. So, again, here was another perfect time to kind of reach back into trick lore to do a interesting tie in. And I don't I mean, it didn't have to be direct. But I mean, when they said we're the red shirts, like we all know <laughs> the whole red shirt running joke. Right. Yeah. Uh, TNG kind of tried to fix that because it became such a big deal. They start putting red shirt command level officers in red to fix that issue but it's like i just kind of expected when they said the red shirts like i kind of expected kind of maybe a loose reference to that whole idea maybe boimer saying you're not trying to get me killed are you right like that would have been a perfect wow (laughs) perfect add cow to the staff (laughs) right (laughs) exactly but so now that that's what i didn't like now what i did like they kind of gave us so we're looking at all through our all through our fandom of watching trek we always see the air quotes upper deck people like the leadership the top of the line they be the prime people and now this show we're seeing the lower deck like the boimler and the tendy and all these like where is that bridge between becoming from lower deck to what you see on the bridge and I think these red shirts, mm. the whole posing and all that, like the skill level, like I don't see a, really a skill difference between Boimler and Ransom, right? The only difference is what these red shirt group people were trying to teach Boimler. Oh, cadence experience, uh, cadence. Well, not really cadence is the word, but um, the way you carry yourself. Right. And somewhat, I guess they were saying the crowds you hang in, how you present yourself. You know, it's played a part. You know exactly, and you and you do need that. And when you're trying to move up, we all know that from jobs. Like when you're trying to get to that next level, you gotta kind of play that part. I mean, it's going to take the skill, obviously, but it's also going to take a little bit more. And a lot of people may have the skill, but who's going to get that promotion? It's going to be the person that can do the little bit more, that has the little more flair for it, or the little more personality, whatever the case may be. That's what's missing. Now, these red shirt guys, especially leader guy, he just left out the skill part. He thought he was just going to make it on posing altogether. But I like the idea because it kind of made me, in my mind, connect what's missing between the lower deck characters we're watching and the bridge officers we're used to. Yeah. All it would take is for Mariner to play the part and she would be a bridge crew almost immediately. Absolutely. Even Bormler. I mean, we've seen it when they transformed him like. Was he not like a yeah. perfect leader? Oh, yeah. 
It also reminds me of just real life. I mean, you've seen people who look the part, who get the jobs you you should be getting or that that are in a higher position than you just because they play and look the part. And here you are, you know, have more knowledge and work <laughs> ethic than they've ever had, you know? Right. But see, it's also, I think, a play on the fact of if you're playing the part and you're projecting all style but no substance, if you notice throughout the entire episode, those that are following him, for the most part, don't do anything or say anything, and I may be wrong, but from my memory, they don't say anything negative and they don't do anything negative toward the Lower Decks crew. You've got the him who's making the snide remarks, etc. and so forth. And again, I may be remembering it wrong, but I think that goes again to having them pivot away from him at the end yeah. to kind of just show Yes, these are things that you're supposed to do. You're supposed to motivate people and you're supposed to do everything that Jonathan just said. But that extra that Jonathan was talking about is part substance that you have to have as well as doing a little bit more. Right. Real quick, we can do this hot take style. We got some very questionable comments about Riker's trombone and keeping it clean. (laughs) Oh, boy. And, and Casey saying he he loves something to blow something brass. I mean, what really? <laughs> it's, and, and then a whole pants comment that Kyle mentioned earlier. <sighs> really? Yeah, I don't know. I guess that's. I guess they must have caught hold of, or probably polled some people, and they said they wanted to hear more of that intrick. So they're trying to keep a group of people. I mean, I get it, but again, like, eh. Yeah. It was funny. When you put the title humongous, <laughs> I rest my case. Size matters. Uh, what about Boimler's makeover? Which I thought was pretty cool, minus the shoulder pads I wasn't really a fan of, but thoughts? Yeah, I liked it. I liked it. Although, you know, they that whole stand-up start thing, I think Boimler always stood with the correct posture. Like, the only thing he was missing was to slick his hair back. Put a slag and a gray on it and some shoulder pads and there you go. <laughs> but I mean, was it not just, uh, uh, again, I think they, yeah, the makeover, but I mean, even in real life, when people get a makeover, it's not really the look that changes them. It's just what they think of themselves make them change the way they carry themselves. Now that, that part when they're telling him to act like a captain. That reminded me directly of uh, Star Trek Voyager, Tinker Tinner, Dr. Spy, when the EMH kind of went through the same thing. Right. He was kind of bumbling, mumbling at first, and then he like got <laughs> into character. And then he was on, a, they showed they show Boimler on the, the Enterprise D bridge, which was cool. Oh, yeah, that was good. I like that part. Yeah. And a pretty good speech. Like, I almost wanted to look it up to see if that was stolen from somewhere. <laughs> No, I think it's just point and take. If you think about it, that's the beats that they hit on every one of those rousing speeches. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Almost like a doctor speech, Cal. I would be happy to have a doctor speech right now. Just saying. <laughs> now, the other side of that speech thing, I think all of the red shirts did horribly when they were just giving a speech rather than doing something effective or to, to alleviate the situation. They just stood up there and... 
did their speeches, to which I cringed greatly, too. <laughs> because they lack the most important thing that Cal pointed out, substance. A speech without substance is just empty words. Yeah. And I think that's a great point to end on, unless you guys have any additional points other than, I guess we'll get in with Armus callback, skin of evil, thoughts. Ah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, again, out of place callback. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was just a stretch, you know? Like, why, why would Tendi, like, you're, you're, you could call any planet. With this device, and you just out of the blue say, let's prank call Armus? Yeah. Like, why? Just Easter egg for the fans. That's all it is. It has all it is. Nothing to do with those characters' development. Before I watch this episode, like, I have Trick set as one of my news feed subjects, so it kind of shoots me a article that has to do with Trick. And, like, before I even watch this episode, the lower decks, like, two or three articles popped up about Armus. <laughs> I'm like, oh boy. So, and so I kind of expected when I watch it, it was going to be a better callback to it because they're making a big deal out of it. But it's just, just him. Just, I don't know. <laughs> it was weird. It was weird. Now, I will add really quick is I loved when Tendi gets the emotional burst and turns into the scorpion queen or whatever. <laughs> I, I liked that when she turned back. It reminded me a lot of Bruce Banner and Hulk because her clothes are all kind of tore at the knees oh, and the shoulders. Yeah. I like, oh, that's really cool. That's a Hulk callback. <laughs> but yeah, let's go ahead and get ratings for the episode. And I will start this time. I'm going to give it like a 3.2. Didn't love it, but I, I think there were definitely some great points in it. What about you, Jonathan? Um... So, as I said at the beginning, and you know, no offense to you guys, but y'all really didn't change my mind. <laughs> it, uh, boring. Like, it, it just, yeah, yeah. So, the only way I could rate that is a three. What about you, Cal Jones? I'm going to give it a humongous 2.5. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> oh, man, you went lower than us. Good Lord. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at- at the top of this, it sounded like you liked it more than we did. Yeah, and the more, you know, I think, Jonathan, I think you, as I didn't rub off on you, I think you rubbed off on me. Oh, man. I think I like it maybe a little less than what I did at the beginning. Reverse the polarity. Good Lord. Yes, you did. And my, <laughs> uh, and my neutrons are firing, flowing in the opposite direction. All right. Well, that's a 3.2 from me, a 3.0 from John and a 2.5 from Cal Jones. With that, let's see what everybody has been watching, listening to or whatever podcast later. Otherwise, Cal Jones. So as I am often inclined to do, if you would like to check out Clarence Brown being totally amazing on one of the hiatus episodes of Eyes 9, you can go to eyes-9.com to check out the Eyes 9 podcast or just look it up on your favorite podcast player because as of this recording series four started today oh yeah it was so fun to get to do that episode that lee shackleford wrote for Oz 9 yeah it's 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 different it's different i'll say that much but it was so much fun to do and I can't wait for the new season of Oz 9. I'm, I'm really getting into it more and, and can't wait to listen. Jonathan Shorts, what about you, man? Not much, man. As usual, just more trick, man. More trick. 
again, I'll just lead everybody to listen to, subscribe to, tell your friends about, share as wide as you can in your sphere of influence that the Discussing Trek crew are tearing down lore decks and analyzing it, <laughs> telling you what's good, what's bad, what should have been done, and you can tell us what we're wrong on and right on. Just listen to us, give us some comments, and let us know. I kind of want to throw something out there to you guys. What you got, man? So, I have a bit of trick trivia for you. Oh, I totally missed it. Oh, <laughs> What is your Trek trivia for this week? And let me just say up front, we're going to start doing a Trek trivia segment where Jonathan asks us a Trek question, which we'll try to answer. But if we can't, we'll throw it out there to the crowd for you guys to write in to said social media and email handles to give the answer. So this is going to be the first iteration of that. So, John, what do you have for us, sir? So this will be a two part question. And depending on if you guys can answer the first question, depending on about the second question, we'll see how it goes. First one may be kind of easy. Depends on your trickdom. Um, there originally we know through canon, there were four founding species that signed the Federation Charter, the original Federation Charter, United Federation of Planets. Do you know which four species that was? Oh, boy. I'll I, give you a hint to start off. One I, 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 I don't know three of them. <laughs> so don't give me one. <laughs> of course, humans, Vulcans, Andorians, and Tellarites. Exactly. Good hey. job. That is why you're the showrunner, sir. <laughs> I watched Enterprise. <laughs> exactly. See, if you don't like the song, you would have missed that. <laughs> and that's why I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> so... I'm going to stomp you on this one, Clarence. Uh-oh. There was actually a fifth species that signed the original United Federation of Planets Charter. Mm. Do you know it? And you wouldn't have known this watching Enterprise. There was a fifth. I have no idea. I have no idea. <laughs> Would you like the answer? Or do you want to give it a week and see if somebody's right? We're going to save that for next week. <laughs> so i'll give you a hint for that and you guys can dig if you want the hint will be newspaper newspaper what the associated <laughs> press <laughs> okay. do your research people fans let us know send us in some feedback tell us if you got the answer maybe we'll have you on the show or send a comment and we'll play it on the show or yeah yeah, hit us up on our social media handles again. That's at Discussing Trek, or you can send a voicemail or email answering this question to fans at DiscussingTrek.com. We'll get the email and we'll might even play it on the show. And that is who is the fifth member race or member species to sign the original Star Federation Charter to sign the original Federation Charter, the UFP Charter. That's right. the exact words. All right. With that, we will wrap things up. Thank you all for listening. And until next time, guys, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe.
Hey guys, it's Sergio from Reality Breached. We've got a bunch of different podcasts over on our network at realitybreached.com, and one of my favorites is Shellheads, a TMNT podcast. Shellheads is a deep dive into the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in ways you've never heard before. From the early comic days to the current Nick show, nothing is off limits. Jeff from the Warp Zone Arcade joins me to binge watch and power read through a comprehensive library of TMNT fandom. Check Shellheads out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. For more details, visit realitybreached.com. You've been listening to the Discussing Network. Find out more at discussingnetwork.com.